Right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going um, gonna to pull you in if that's okay. And um, yeah, so this morning we're really, really privileged to have uh, Rachel, who's hot-footed all the way from Wheelie Castle, uh, to come and, come and speak. So she's already spoken once this morning and led worship, she just informed me. And now she's doing a, a different talk. So she may get a bit confused, start singing at some stages or speak, but no, she's going to be great. So I'm going to pray for Rachel uh, and hand over to her. As we, uh, yeah, she's going to bring the word this morning. So, Father, thank you for, for Rachel, Lord God. In all seriousness, I do just pray for your anointing to fall upon her, Father God, as she's already had a busy morning, already done a lot in the, in the few hours already. I really pray for your hand to be on her and that we, as your church, will have ears to hear what you want to say in and through Rachel. So, bless her, I pray, in, your mighty name of, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. It's very good to be here. There's not, oh, that's good. The, I was hoping there wasn't going to be a horrible stretched picture of me on the bed sheet behind, but there isn't. That's good. It's starting to look good, isn't it? They're very dark brown, apparently. I came and said, oh, the black's looking good. It's very dark brown. Okay. You can tell there's work going on because we just had to dust the lectern before I put my Bible on it. But yeah, it is really good to be here and it was actually really easy to get through. I had the visions of being stopped by marshals and having to hand over letters and beg them to let us through this morning. But actually, we came, we drove, Tony had put a cone there, we parked, it was simple, which was great, it really helped the morning. So, I read a book a while ago called Outliers and the author is a guy called Malcolm Gladwell and it's a book that really examines why some people do especially well at certain things. And Malcolm Gladwell has this idea that in order to be really, 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 really good at something, you need to practice it for around about 10,000 hours. So if you want to be a concert pianist, you've got to go get that piano out and practice, practice, practice for around 10,000 hours. And right there is why I'm not a concert pianist. Because when I was growing up, practice was the thing I really didn't want to do. If you want to be in the Olympics or in the Commonwealth Games, maybe the idea is you'd have to run for 10,000 hours or do the long jump for 10,000 hours or whatever. So how long is 10,000 hours? Well, it's 10,000 hours. But if you put it end to ends, it means that you've got to go home today and go, right, from now, for 400 and... I can't remember the number. Thank you. 416 days. Very awake on the front row here. For 416 days solid, you've got to go and play that piano or run that marathon or jump or whatever. You'd actually be dead because you wouldn't be out sleeping between. But anyway, if you want to be a little bit more realistic about it, if you did two hours a day, it will take you 14 years to get there. At three hours a day, it's about 10 years. So I want you to imagine that you're a young person and you've been so inspired by your heroes at the Commonwealth Games that you want to be there in another three or four Commonwealth Games time. You've got to basically get out there and every day you go to school, you come home, you have your tea, you do your homework and then you've got to do three hours of whatever it is that you want to go to the Commonwealth Games to do or piano or whatever, three hours a day. It's fairly safe to say that if you're that committed to that task, you're not going to do anything else really in your life, not at that time anyway. 
You're not going to be a concert pianist and a high-level marathon runner all at the same time because you just physically don't have enough hours in the day to make it possible. If you want to be what kind of person, then that has got to be your absolute utmost priority above anything else in your life. If you want to do the very best with something, you've got to be all in. It can't just be an add-on to your life. The thing you desire most has to take priority over everything else. So here's a challenge. What about our faith in Christ? Are we all in or is it an add-on? You see, if your Christian faith is just an add-on, then you can't expect to live a fulfilled, purposeful Christian life. Now, I'm not asking you, do you come to church every week? Do you read the Bible and do you pray every day? Now, those things aren't bad, and they're all part of being all in. And if you're not doing those things, it might suggest that maybe this is just an add-on. But what it is more about is your priority. What is your absolute priority? Is it your relationship with Jesus? Is he number one? Yeah, but hang on a minute. I do not need to be the Christian equivalent of Mo Farah or Rebecca Adlington or any of the more up-to-date ones that I can't remember the name of. What's the swimming guy called? Adam Peaty, that's it. I only watched it last night. I don't need to be the Christian equivalent of a concert pianist or an Adam Peaty. But this is the thing. If we have other priorities before God, then the Bible says those things are idols and they'll prevent us from fully following Christ and will cause us other issues. So I wanted to look at an encounter that someone had with Jesus and it's recorded in Luke 18, starting at verse 18 as well. And it's also recorded in the book of Matthew and Mark. So this is obviously quite a key one. You know, Jesus really wants us to get this message. It's in three out of four of the Gospels. And I'm going to read it, um, hence the glasses have come with me. So this is Luke 18, verse 18. I want you to listen to this account and decide, is a relationship with Jesus a priority for this guy? Is it an add-on? Or is he all in? Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. The man in this account we often call the rich young ruler. He was living his best life. How do we know it? Well, he was rich. He had no money worries. He could pop over to the bullring any time he liked and buy whatever fancy clothes he wanted. He was young. 
had youth on his side. He didn't wake up in the morning and bits were creaking. He didn't look in the mirror and realise bits were starting to sag. He was in the prime of his life. He's rich, he's young, and not only that, he's in charge. He's in control, he's a ruler. If he says something, there are people in his life who will go and make sure that it happens and that it gets carried out. How much more wonderful a life could you have than that? Being rich, being young, and being in control. There just is nothing else, is there? But what he's realised is there is a problem. You see, not all of these things are going to last. The young one, particularly, probably going to go the quickest. Youth fades. I'm sorry if any of you here would class yourself in the young category. I hope you do. In fact, if I take my glasses off, I can actually see. (laughs) That's yeah, shows that I'm not young. If you're young, you might think, oh, no, I've got years, I've got years. And then suddenly you go, you watch the Commonwealth opening ceremony and Duran Duran is still singing, just like in the 80s when I was young. But they're looking a bit older than they did, I'll be honest, in the 1980s. Youth fades. Time moves on and it fades. And he realises this. He may also realise that financial... It's not always that secure, is it? We might be rich one day, but it's not something you can really, really hold on to. If only he could find the answer to being rich, to being young and being in charge forever. If only he could find eternal life. So he goes to see Jesus. And he doesn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He calls him a good teacher. He's obviously heard stuff about Jesus. He's obviously maybe seen things that Jesus does. And he's obviously realized, this guy here, this Jesus, he might be able to help me in some way with this issue that I've got of eternal life. And so he talks to Jesus, and Jesus gives him a bit of a clue right at the beginning of who he is because he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, okay, you've called me good teacher, but only God is good. So there's a clue there. If you're calling me good, are you saying that I'm God? Are you? But what the rich young ruler does, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get this extra thing in my life that's going to mean I'm going to be rich, young, and in charge forever, amen? You see, he's, he's earned his money, probably. He's earned his status in life, his rulership. He'll have probably started off as serving somebody else and he's gradually gone up through the ranks. So he thinks, hey, there's got to be something else I can do to make this thing last forever. Now, Jesus could have said, hang on a minute, you've got it all wrong. It's not about works. It's not about what you do. But Jesus actually goes along with him a little bit. And he says, okay, if you want to do something to inherit eternal life, there's the Ten Commandments. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do not steal, do not bear false witness on your father and mother, etc., etc. Oh, yeah, I've done that. Every single one, right from when I was young, I have kept all of the Ten Commandments. 
do you really think he had? I mean, maybe he had, but I've got my doubts, if I'm honest. I've got my doubts that he actually had done all of those things for the whole of his life. Romans 7, verse 18, Paul says this. This is the Apostle Paul. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So that's the Apostle Paul. He's the guy who's been on the Damascus Road, had this most amazing experience with Jesus. And even he says, you know, I've got this sinful nature, I've got this issue I try really hard, but sometimes things don't go the way that I really wish that they did. And I don't do what I really want to do. But he's the rich young ruler, and he thinks, oh, yeah, I can tick all those boxes. But what's happening really is that Jesus is testing him out. He's testing him out to say, you know, are you all in for this? Are you really all in for the kingdom of God? Are you really all in for a relationship with me? Or are you just looking for an add-on on the side, the icing on the cake, the cherry on the top, so that you can have your amazing life and just make it one stage better? How does the man define himself? Rich, young, and in charge. Jesus hones in on the first one, rich. You see, Jesus wants to be this man's first priority. He doesn't want to be just an add-on in his life. Jesus does not want to be just the icing on the cake. So he tests him out on the money issue. Sell everything you have and give it all away. Oh dear. Right there, there's a problem. If money's coming between him and Jesus, it's an idol. Are we starting to get the picture? He's not all in, is he? He just wants an add-on. He can't do it. So sad. He loves his money more. See, he's not looking for a relationship with Jesus. He just wants something. He wants eternal life so that he can carry on being rich and young and in charge forever. He wants the add-on to complete his near-perfect life. Notice it was all about him receiving eternal life. There was no sense of repentance, no willingness to give up his life in order to save it. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Is Jesus saying, you know what? If you want to be my disciple, you've got to be all in. You've got to be all in. It's not an add-on. You've got to be fully there. You see, the rich young ruler, one day he's going to become a rich old ruler. And on another day, he's going to become a rich dead ruler. And that's it. Over. Game over. He lost his soul. 
You want to be a disciple of Jesus. You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. A few months ago, something a little bit weird happened. At Sel- uh, not Selioke, this is Selioke, Wheelie Castle. We came out of church one day and somebody had put a piece of metal in the shape of a cross outside the church on the car park. They just left it on the floor. And I was a bit like, why have they done that for? Do they think there's no cross symbol on this church? That's wrong. It's a church. There should be a cross somewhere. I found, I've got this cross. I'm going to put it there and then they need to put it up. Maybe they found it lying around and thought, that looks like a cross. That ought to go to a church. Let's take it to a church. Let's leave it on the car park and they can do what they want with it. I mean, it wasn't particularly fancy. It was just, it could have been anything. It just happens to be in a cross shape. But you know something? I thought, well, we need to move that. Not because I have an issue with the cross. Don't anybody get any funny ideas? I don't. It was just, they just sort of abandoned it on the floor in the car park. So I tried to pick it up. It was really heavy. (laughs) And it reminded me so much of this verse, you know. If you want to be his disciple, you must take up your cross and follow him. And crosses can be heavy. And crosses can have splinters in them. And crosses are a little bit of an awkward shape for carrying as well, if I'm honest. You know, you could have something a lot, you know, with a handle on or something. No. Crosses are difficult to carry. But if you want to save your life, eventually you'll lose it. But you lose your life for his sake and you find it. You see, you could gain the whole world. You can be as rich as you like. You can be as young as you like and you can be in charge of millions. But you can lose your soul. And it's the soul that goes on into eternity, of course, isn't it? He's Jesus saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must be all in. Yes, he is. And he gave us only two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's an all in statement if ever I heard one. It also says love your neighbor as yourself, but focusing on the first one. If you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, that talks about your inside, the real you, that emotional sort of person that you are. You're loving him with all of that. You're loving him with your mind. That means you're turning your thoughts and your attention, the way you believe, the things you think about. What you feed your mind on is all important when we talk about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. What you're feeding your mind on, is he first in that? But then for strength, just the physical stuff. You know, sometimes we get this idea that we're spiritual and we're physical and never the twain shall meet, almost. Actually, we're all of those things, all part of a body. And your physical is just as important as your spiritual, yes, it won't go on as long, but it's still important. We're not, we're all one and we're not to be dividing ourselves up into bits. We've got to be all in, in all of those ways, emotionally, in our minds, in our spirits, in our physical selves. It's not all about doing though, but it is about priorities. What is your priority? Are you all in or is this just an add-on? What was God's priority? 
You see, I think God made an all-in statement. Jesus made an all-in statement. And if you've been in church longer than five minutes, you'll have heard John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That is God's all-in statement. He gave his son. Can you imagine if you're a parent giving your child for the sins of the world? It's just horrible. It just, you know, couldn't do it. But that's what God did. That's God's all-in statement. In other words, God's saying, actually, what is my priority here? Is my priority my own self, you know, my son? Is that my priority? Or is my priority the sins of the world? Is my priority the people who are walking around on planet Earth who need a saviour? What is God's priority? It was us, me and you. We were his priority. We were his number one priority, even to give up his own son for. I mean, that just blows your mind, doesn't it? Really, really blows your mind when you think about that. So what is our priority? Are we all in? How do we need to respond? You know, a few weeks ago in uh, Wheelie Castle, we baptised a lady and um, this lady used to be a Muslim religion. She was brought up as a Muslim. But as over the last sort of few years, and particularly the last 12 months, she's come into contact with the church, come into contact with, with Jesus, asked a lot of questions. Some of them questions no one's ever asked me before. And I've had to go, oh, let me look that up and get back to you and... You know, she's also a lady, bless her, whose English isn't her first language. And uh, so it's been a lot of Google Translate. And hopefully Google Translate has got it right. <laughs> if she has any doctrinal issues in the future, we may have to blame Google. <laughs> but, you know, baptism, it's so great, isn't it, for someone to say, actually, and this is what she did say, you know, I've had an encounter with Jesus. And I have seen transformation happen in my life because of that encounter. And I don't want it to just be an add-on in my life. I don't want it to be just, I do my own thing from Monday to Friday and Sunday. Oh, hang on a minute, it's nearly 10 o'clock, got to get to church. And then I'm done, tick, done that for the week. But it's not just about the doing, it's also about how I'm living my life. You know, what kind of person am I when I'm in Asda? doing my shopping? Am I being a little Jesus there? How am I with my kids? Actually, this has got to, this has got to transform everything. This has got to change everything. And I'm going to show that this is not an add-on. I'm all in by being baptized in front of you, and that's what she did a few weeks ago. I'm sure that many of you here today have been in that moment where you've stepped into that tank. Maybe this one, I'm guessing there's one under here. Yeah, it looked, looked like there was. Yeah, or somewhere else. You've gone into that tank, but are you as all in now as you were that day? I think the day that we get baptised, you know, we're really, we're 110%, aren't we? You know, we're, we're there, but are we still as all in today as we were that day? Is Jesus still number one priority in our lives 
So what, asking, what about asking ourselves some questions? What is your biggest priority? Sometimes you can look at things, you know, where do you spend the most? And you can spend lots of things. You spend time, you spend money. They used to say that you could tell your financial priority by reading your checkbook stubs. It doesn't work anymore, does it? We had um, an old um, car mechanic who was probably the last person to give up on the check and start giving his sort code and account number. He's only done it in probably the last 12 months. He hung on to those checks for dear life. And uh, so if you read my checkbook stubs for a few years, A, the checkbook would be about 10 years old, and all of them said, Martin Bennett, Martin Bennett, Martin Bennett, Martin because we never wrote checks for anybody else, so it's not really a good thing anymore to look that way. But what way can you, you know, where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our time? Do we spend it with him and for him? Or do we spend it on ourselves? There's a question. What's our greatest priority? Here's another question. Is there anything that I wouldn't give up for my relationship with Jesus? Gosh, that's a really big one, isn't it? Is there anything that you would not give up for your relationship with Jesus? Such a challenge. What does it look like to pick up your cross and carry it? Imagine me trying to lift that metal thing up off the car park. What does it look like for you? And it might probably look different for each one of us, you know, depending on what your life is like, where you work, the people that you mix with. You see, in some ways, my Christian life is quite easy. In some ways it isn't, but in some ways it is. Why? Because I'm a pastor of a church. I spend most of my time with Christians who are all on the same wavelength as me. Well ish most of the time you know but I appreciate you know that so many people in church congregations that's not the case they go out and they go to work and you mix with people who are not on the same wavelength and actually they might have a bit of a dig or maybe they're outright downright hostile even because you're a Christian. And it's harder even in, in terms of the, the world that we live in and the way the culture has changed right now and there's so many PC things that you have to say or not say and, and so many things that we have to kind of work our way around. And I appreciate for you it's so much more difficult than it is for me. Taking up your cross for you might be going into a really difficult work situation, sticking a smile on your face, and saying in the morning, I'm going to be the best representation of Jesus today in this place that I possibly can be, even if it's hard and even if I get the mick taken out of me or I get rejection. You know? And when we talk about representing Jesus, let's always think about representing what Jesus is for and not what he's against. Sometimes as Christians, you can get so much in the habit of, of objecting to things that we don't agree with and we don't like. Actually, maybe we're best to come alongside people and say, this is what Jesus is for. This is what Jesus can bring, not what Jesus wants to take away. That is important. But actually, I'm representing what Jesus is for. I'm coming beside you to show you the love of Jesus that he has for you, even though your life might be in all sorts of a mess. And you might be having all sorts of ideas that maybe don't perhaps line up with the gospel, but 
Jesus still loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And that's what we need to do. That might be what your cross looks like. Maybe your cross means I've got to do some forgiving of somebody. Maybe I've got to build some relationships with somebody. Maybe you've got into a nice little place where actually you've got some few Christian friends around and life's all lovely and uh, we don't want to break into that. But maybe you have to go and make some friends who aren't like you, who don't believe the same things as you, so that you can be Jesus to them. So why should we do all of that? I believe we should be all in for Jesus because he was all in for us. We want to be the best we can for God because he was his best for us. This is not about earning salvation. Please, please don't think, oh, I've got to go and start doing all this stuff now because, you know, a whole list of things I now need to do, you know. We do these things because Jesus loved us, because he saved us, because we have salvation. And out of love for him, we put him first and the priority in our lives. The way to life. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, they went, okay. They left their nets or their boats, fishermen did. Jesus said, follow me, and they went, okay. And off they, do, off they went, totally life-changing. The rich young ruler, Jesus said, sell all you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. And he went, oh, no. Some people are all in, and for some people, it's an add-on. Just in conclusion, let's uh, just reflect for a few moments on some of those questions and ask yourself, what is your greatest priority? Is there anything you wouldn't give up for your relationship with Christ? What does it look like to take up your cross every day and follow him? And maybe if the Holy Spirit brings one or two of those things to mind, maybe there's some repentance to do. Some, actually, you know what? I've let X get in the way of my relationship with Jesus and I need to go away and do something about that. You see, repentance isn't just about tears. Repentance is actually going and doing something different. I need to do something about that. If there's something you think, in all honesty, Jesus, I couldn't give that up for you. Maybe ask him by his Holy Spirit to come and do that work in your heart. And ask him, you know, Jesus, what is my greatest priority? Is it you or is it something else? Because actually, don't we want to find life? Maybe not. (laughs) I do. I want to find life. And the way to find life is to lose mine, to serve his. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you were all in 100% for us. Thank you, God, that you sent your son You were less concerned with keeping him to yourself and keeping things as they were and more concerned about us, about me. So much so that you sent your son to die for us. You were all in for us. 
And we thank you so much, Jesus. And Jesus, today we want to be those people who are all in for you. We want to be those who lose the life that maybe we desire with all our hearts, but find our life in you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there's anyone here today, myself included, where our priorities have just got that little bit out of sorts, other things have come in and taken number one, that today we will be able to put you back to number one priority in our lives and that our lives will flow from that relationship with you. Thank you that you were all in for us. Help us to be all in for you. In Jesus' name, amen.